airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, um, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, we've got uh, a guest scheduled to join us in the next segment. Um, Our guest, Than Bennett, who has authored the book, My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God, is going to join us to talk about, I guess, what has almost become like a breakdown in our culture, Mm. where we are just sort of fame hungry. Mm. You know, we want more likes. We want more followers. Um, It's sort of the way the culture has gone. It's really defined, um, I guess, you know, the generation, right? Yeah, that yeah. Who, how many likes do you have? Right. You know, there are people who, <laughs> you read news stories now, it's changed the way we read news stories. So-and-so said on their Twitter account where they have about a million followers. Like everything's about, you know, yeah. and this is a measure of your importance. It's crazy. It's like pop this church a, culture. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Uh, so-and-so updated on their Instagram where they have about X number of followers, whatever it is. Right. And uh, and so this book really grabbed my attention because it's one of those things that um, is such a, uh, and, and I want to be very careful because I, I understand that there are people who can mis- misinterpret or misunderstand flatly what I'm suggesting here. But uh, this uh, self-importance that I feel like even characterizes members of the Lord's church, mm-hmm. you know, it's like sort of like the celebrity pastor, the celebrity yeah. this, the celebrity... Yeah. Uh, I don't like it. Right. Okay. I just don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. We were talking with our kids just last night, weren't we? Well, the great, we were talking with our kids last night about the apostle Paul in mm. Acts chapter 20 mm-hmm. and how he calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him. You know, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's not going to see them any, anymore. Um, and, and as JD points it out in this life. Right. Right. Um, but one of the things like you, you look at this, um, this, presentation that he makes to the Ephesian elders, this message to him, it's sort of like his last words. Well, it is. It becomes his last words to this group of men. And uh, and I and I would imagine that whoever else was was there gathered mm-hmm. around who could overhear. Um, and it's recorded for us in Acts. But one of the things that he begins and ends with is his own life as an example that he's lived among them in humility, yep. that he's not coveted anyone's silver or fine clothes or anything like that, that he's left for them an example as to how they're to live. And I think even today, when you look at that message, and I would encourage our listeners to go back and read that in Acts chapter 20, uh, begins at verse 18, I, I, I'm pretty sure. But if if you look at that today, that is such, it's even more so a countercultural message for us today than it was in the first century church, yeah, right? Yeah. That, you know, don't yeah. covet people's gold exactly. and silver. Don't covet people's fine clothes, you know, Keep watch of yourself. Like, that's what he says. He char- He gives them, like, um, maybe you could sum it up in, like, five different charges that he gives them. But he he tells flock, mm-hmm. shepherd the flock. <laughs> yeah. Watch yourselves. Watch the flock. Shepherd the flock. Watch for those deceivers, the wolves on the outside. And then watch for those who are going to arise among you on the inside teaching twisted things. Mm. Right? But today, we have such a culture and a climate 
of fame yeah where we don't really care what is being taught in so many different situations we just care about their status you know are they well known um how many followers do they have That's and so crazy go ahead now i was thinking as you're saying that you know paul even you know uh chided believers for doing that saying that yeah, i'm a did. paul i'm a you know apollos. I'm of apollos that's right you know that's it, right he was like man we're not celebrities here you know who that's are right. we you know mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no celebrity status and if you uh kind of side by side put up our church culture or whatever to what was going on back then, you'll see a, a, a big difference in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. that it wasn't about likes because the things that the Apostle Paul and others were saying, it wouldn't have got likes. It wouldn't, no, have, got, no. you know, it wouldn't have been like, oh, man, <laughs> right. you know. Like, it wouldn't increase your following. Exactly. And, you know, when you look at it through the eyes of church history and even the book of Acts, which is church history as well, you know, and you look at it, you're like, man, that's such a difference. That's such a difference, mm-hmm. you know, and even in the feel of it. Like the uh, the authentic feel of uh, being a Christ follower, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he wasn't everywhere a you look, and and people might notice this from our program. Um, we just have a a very um, sort of like we're talking to the body of Christ approach to the way we yes. do radio, and that's on purpose because that's what we're doing. Like that's right. it's it's not about what you know or who we are. It is about the message. You know, how do right. we encourage each other? In 21st century America and even around the world, and I increasingly want to say that and acknowledge that, um, but there are wicked people who want Christians to be about just sort of this self-aggrandizement where Mm. you're just continuing to expand your territory. It's not about what the Lord wants to do. It's not about the Lord's fame. It's about, you know, how many downloads did I get this week? That stuff is trash. Yeah, yeah. That stuff will be burned up up like none of that matters in eternity what matters is that we know the lord and we make him known that we are encouraged to do this even the more as we see the day approaching Mm. and so of course i was drawn to this book when i saw the premise and i and i thought man we need more conversations like this where we say how do we take ourselves out of the social media frenzy Mm. right like 86 percent of us are on social media Mm -hmm. many of us checking several times a day to see what our posts are doing Mm -hmm. and how people are responding to what we've said or what Mm -hmm. we're doing. And it's all about fame. It's all about likes and follows. And, and this stuff begins to define our feelings of significance where we feel like we matter because people say we matter. Right. And here's the thing that's really striking. and, And I hope that we can ask Than about this when we have him on But even as these things increase, people have more followers. They've got more downloads, more likes, more subscribers. They're still lonely Mm. and they're still not fulfilled and they're still committing suicide Mm. at increasing rates. And, you know, people are not more connected. They're more disconnected. Mm. So it's like, how do you account for that in the age of super connectivity where you, you know, you would argue you never have to be alone? Well, I would say this. Because it is a manufactured community. Mm. It's a manufactured community where if it's not posted on social media, if it's not acknowledged on social media, then it didn't happen in life. Now you think about that. It didn't happen. If, if If I can't see a picture of it, then it's not significant. And for many of us living life, if we can't post about it, then it's not meaningful. You know, you know what I mean? One thing that's amazing to me about this whole discussion about social media and it wasn't. It was not that long ago where we didn't have all of this. 
Because like life <laughs> didn't, you know, but it seems like the way that it is now, like it's always been around. Like this is yeah. a part of, but that, it, it wasn't long ago where there was no like, you know, Twitter, yeah. Facebook and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And, you know, things were a lot different. Like, you know, it, it was it was a lot more um, interaction face to face and outdoors and different things like that. You know, it's true. Um, it's, 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 true. it's amazing how just that quick, you know. Yeah, and our thoughts mm-hmm. about life mm-hmm. have changed to reflect these new developments. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what our industries are, so to speak, yeah. reflect these new developments. We were talking to our kids and it's it's interesting, you know, because they are learning the world and, and you you realize that, wow, there is so much that they have to get accustomed to or get acquainted with because mm-hmm. they just don't know how the world works. So we were talking to them about um, YouTube sensations mm-hmm. who these these people who have had like uh, what is described as 15 minutes of fame. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for a kid, it's a blank slate. They're like, what does that mean? Right. Why do they call it 15 minutes? Like, so you you explain what this means. It's like sort of this uh, flash in the pan. Right. Um, and so <laughs> we were talking to them about um, people who do these random news interviews and their interviews are so comical that they become these YouTube sensations <laughs> right, because, right. you know, people want to watch them over and over. And our kids are like, why? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because it's funny. But why? And then and you went in for the jugular, which was great. I was so good because it really stopped all the questions. And, and you said, for the same reason, you ask us to show you the footage. Right. They want to watch it over and over. They yeah. want to watch it over and over again, which, by the way. Um, if I could just for your own entertainment, just in case you're, you're done with everything in life that matters. OK, there is a very funny. Well, I need to be careful because some people may say that's not funny. Um, there is a funny YouTube clip of an interview done um, several weeks back about um, some the thought that coronavirus had come to a school in Memphis. Mm-hmm. OK, and the humor is in the precaution that the parents were taking. Mm-hmm. OK. It's not in that they were being careful. And why do I have to say this? Because I don't want any emails from you people. <laughs> All right, I know you. I know, I know how Christians are. I know how you people are. You're going to, that was very unloving, Miki. And that was very inconsiderate, Miki. And I understand. Whatever. It's funny because there is one particular aunt. She is the aunt of one of the kids attending the school. And you just go look it up. You look up coronavirus, Memphis, parents take precaution. Just all those words. You know how to find stuff you want. Just go look for it. And the mom, the aunt, has made her own protective gear. Yep. (sighs) (laughs) Out of grocery bags and garbage bags. And it 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 is it is (laughs) it is something that our kids are enjoying right now. Right. Okay. And so we tell them for the same reason y'all want to sit, y'all want to. So the same reason you guys want to continue watching these interviews over and over and over again. It's an actual news story. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's real. It's a real news story. Um, and this woman really does show up with her face covered with grocery bags and garbage bags with her shoes tied up. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of a homemade hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. All right. And our kids from the youngest to the oldest cannot get enough of it. <laughs> it. The video doesn't change, but it's one of those things. And we were telling them how this, you know, there are some people who have taken this over the years and they've made this sort of like their platform. Yeah. Right. That they take that fame and our desire to watch them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I have digressed. I need to go back. I know. How My we got point there? is this. Anyway. Well, you did it. I, I did always, it. I always blame you. Okay. Can I say something profound sure. about this book that I'm really looking forward to um, yes. having a conversation around this and I don't want to forget it? 
Um, in the book, uh, Than Bennett, who's going to join us in the next segment, he says that the main impact of our lives is always going to occur where our eyes are set. Mm, okay. Oh, my goodness. Sounds that is a right simple there. statement, That's but deep. it is so deep and it is so profound. And I'm going to repeat it. He says the main impact of our lives is always going to occur where our eyes are set. Now, you think mm. about that in the life of the believer and what automatically should happen is that we start to ask ourselves some real questions, right? It's, it's sort of this um, either, you know, there's great introspection or there's inventory, but we say, man, where are my eyes set? Mm. And I will tell you this. There are people who surround you and whether they do it intentionally or it's accidental, they will always try to entice you to have your eyes set in some other direction than what the Lord has for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Then then where your attention is supposed to be. Do you know you could be doing this? You should be doing that. We've experienced that in our own personal lives. Yeah. Right. Where people are like, oh, I think you need to be doing this. Right. Do you know what you could do with this? And it's like, no, that's not what the Lord's called us to do. We understand what it is that the Lord has called us to do. We understand that it's urgent. And we understand that if we're going to have a massive impact and for us, it is our family. Yeah. For us, it is ensuring that we get the gospel to our children. And to those who would be believers, right, mm -hmm. intact, because we see an attack on this all around coming from every area. I often joke about it that when you, you know, are standing up and defending the truth, you feel like a soccer goalie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get that visual in your head right now. Right. Because and protecting the body of Christ. What happens is you have deception and you mm -hmm. have attacks that are coming in all different directions. Mm -hmm. And I think just to double back to Acts chapter 20, I think this is essentially the point that Paul was making when he gave these last words to the Ephesian elders. He told them again, just to sum it up, he said, watch yourselves, watch the flock. Then he said, shepherd the flock. Then he said, watch for savage wolves on the outside and then watch for those who will arise from among you, from among your own selves, teaching twisted things. In other words, he was saying, you know what? On all of these different accounts, the gospel is not safe. You're going to have to fight for it. Yeah. You're going to have to protect it. You're going to have to defend it. And he ended his communication with the Ephesian elders the way he started it, saying, remember how I have lived among you. Mm. Remember how I've set before you an example. I've not covered anyone's silver. I've not covered anyone's apparel. And so you do likewise. All right. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio will break and be right back. on American Family Radio. When you tune in uh, during this hour, you understand that what we are doing is providing commentary uh, to what's going on in culture through a biblical lens, and we do that unapologetically. The mm -hmm. question for us always, first and foremost, is what does the Bible say about that? Mm -hmm. The straight How edge. How do we live that out authentically? That's the straight edge. We want to align <laughs> with that. 
And so then how do we live that out? What does that look like uh, for the faithful and authentic Christian? Because everybody wants to be authentic, right, in 21st century America. So that's what we're doing. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's Sarah Reeves. Details. I want to go right to our guest. I want to do a, make a formal introduction here. And then we're going to double back a little bit or a lot bit, <laughs> just depending on what we feel like, right? Yeah. Um, to the conversation that we had yesterday, because we learned some information today that was really exciting for us to learn. But first, formal introduction here. Than Bennett and his wife, Brooke, live in Fort Washington, uh, Fort Washington, Maryland, with their three children. And uh, the Bennetts are longtime members of the National Community Church family in Washington, D.C., uh, he also, Than, serves as a director of government affairs for the American Center for Law and Justice and is a regular on-air contributor to the daily syndicated radio broadcast, J Seculo Live. He's the author of In Search of the King and, um, and joins us today to discuss his recent book, My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. And I think this is really cool. So I want to mention this. Uh, Than is motivated to write by a belief that God calls those in all walks of life to draw others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I say a hearty amen, amen. to that. Than, thank you so much for joining us. Mickey, Will, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you. I, um, I'm just so appreciative of what you all do, and I'm thrilled to do uh, talk with you for a few minutes today. Awesome. So we learned today uh, through one of our producers and um, <laughs> that you were homeschooled and you are also a homeschooling dad. You guys are a homeschooling family and you happened to listen to our program yesterday and you wanted to talk to us today about that, which we were like, yes and yes. And also, I just want to congratulate you on being able to read and write since you were homeschooled. And... <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, Dan, yeah. so the sites are set on the homeschoolers. Let's talk Man. about that just a little bit. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I listened to yesterday's show, and it just made my, my heart leap for joy because uh, my parents, God bless them, they, I had six siblings, so there were seven of us, and they homeschooled all of us wow. uh, during a season where it was, it was far uh, from the norm. I mean, it's wow. becoming a little bit more mainstream these days, but this, mm -hmm. this was ahead of the curve. And I just, I loved what you all had to say, because, you know, a, a lot of people, when we would tell them that we were homeschooled, they would say, okay, well, you know, that's fine for you all, but that's not something that we could ever do. And, and mm -hmm. I remember so vividly my parents uh, telling them, look, we may have come from an educational background, but it is not that background that allows us to do this. What, what allows mm -hmm. us to do this? What makes us successful is we are trying to properly prioritize learning concepts, and we are trying to root our children in an, an identity and a relationship with their creator. And if they have that identity, if they have that rooting, then how they relate to the rest of the world that the creator has created, all of that will fall into place. So mm. I got to tell you, I was just amening and amening all through yesterday's program. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You know, it's interesting, though, and I want to get your, your take on this, because I think so many of us in the Christian community, when we think of education in sort of like a, a, a secular arena, we tend to think, and I think we've been conditioned this way. And again, I don't want to sound condescending or anything like that. We didn't always homeschool. Will the Great and I were not homeschooled. Mm -hmm. We were educated with a public education. Mm -hmm. So I'm speaking from personal experience as well as now being a homeschooling family. I think that we are almost trained to believe that government education is a neutral education, that there's not going to be any worldview or any philosophical approach to how kids are taught. Um, but that just isn't true, is it? 
it's just not factually accurate. I mean, look, no matter who is making the decisions, those decisions are going to reflect the worldview and, quite frankly, the moral uh, underpinning of that person's uh, of that person's view or that person's ideology. And look, I, I I come back to this: Why would we entrust the upbringing or the education of our kids with anyone other than the people who love them the most and have the most divine authority, most moral mm. authority, uh, most legal responsibility for those children? I mean, who has the most on the line? It's clearly the parents of the children. And look, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that homeschooling is for everyone, but mm-hmm. I am suggesting that no matter what your choice of education, the parent must remain in the primary decision-making mm-hmm. role. That's and I right. think that flows most naturally when it's homeschooling. But ultimately, the person who God has given the responsibility for that child has to remain the one that's making the decisions. Yeah. You know, I think there was a time in our culture, Than, where many Christians would have been been able to agree with that statement that you just made. But today, I feel like the church is sort of um, inundated with this, I don't know, it's like a disease of perspectivism, where it's like we can always see the opposite perspective. We understand what they're saying. And so we're not really making gains like we should be making gains because, you know, we turn on each other. You know, I think for families who maybe are not homeschooling, there would have been a time where we would say, you know, we need to stand up for the rights of parents to have the chief influence over their kids. But today, I don't think we see that. I think we're weakened from within and we say, well, what difference does it make? You can't raise your kids in a bubble. Kids have got to experience culture. And we've been told that it's not just our kids, it's community kids. It's, you know, it's everybody. They don't belong to us. They don't belong to us. (laughs) So my, well, my question is, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I think there's a little bit of uh, perverted truth in there. I mean, the, the reason that we are in, on this planet is to make an impact in the culture, but you have mm-hmm. to have the identity and the primary purpose established before you go out into the culture. I mean, I, right. I would say this to you. you we, the, the primary purpose for both upbringing your children and educating them is to root their identity in the world that transcends this one. It's not mm. to remove mm. them from this That's world, right. but the only way that they're going to have an impact in this world is if their identity is actually rooted in something that is beyond it. And when I apply this to, to the world of education, Mickey and Will, I, I think about all of the different attributes of our God, of our Creator. I think, you know, you, you said something on yesterday's program about how God's character is revealed in math and how it reveals His exacting precision mm-hmm. and the way He's created the confines of the earth. And that's exactly true. But then you think about it as it applies to the arts, and it reveals the beauty of His unique relationship with each one of us and how we view yes. different uh, aspects through different unique lenses, and mm. that mirrors our unique relationship with Him. And I just, when I when I pull back a little bit, and I think, who who do I trust to help my children relate this tangible world to the person who I believe is tangible and created it tangibly? And it, it's not that I have a great faith in myself, but I, I'll be honest with you, and this is going to be not politically correct, I don't trust a government institution of man to set those priorities for me. I want to search out the scriptures. I want to pull the concepts from scriptures that that I want my children to live by after I'm gone, and I want to, by the grace of God, apply them uh, as faithfully as I can. And uh, I'll just tell you quickly, I look back, you know, almost 40 years now, is when, when my parents started charting this path, and I am so grateful that they did two things. One, that they said, 
uh, an academic education is not the most important thing. However, after we root you in what is most important, you will apply yourself diligently to those <laughs> academic exercises. Yes. It's good. both and. Yeah. It's not either or. It's both and. Mm. That That's is good. so good. And let me just say with you, as controversial as it may seem, and, you know, just I prepare for the emails. I agree with you. I don't trust the government with my kids having a firm understanding of who the Lord Jesus is and what he requires of them. I agree with you 110%. Before we move on and talk about the wonderful book that you've authored recently, I want to ask your opinion in the professional capacity in which you operate um, as Director of Government Affairs for the American Center for Law and Justice. When you look at what Harvard is doing, what Harvard is writing, and, and this is not just attack an attack coming from one direction. It's something that we're battling in culture that has sort of been bubbling up, and now you see maybe there's more organization happening around it. Um, what concerns do you have, professionally speaking, and what encouragement um, do you have for parents who are listening and maybe even beginning to weigh their options as it pertains to education? I think my concerns stem uh, something from that you also said on yesterday's program, which is the reminder that politics is downstream from culture, which is downstream from education. And you have to understand that if you want to understand the motive for why there is such a resistance from any opportunity to remove our children from the education system. And look, this is not just homeschooling. There is visceral opposition to school vouchers or school choice for mm -hmm. impoverished children who are in poor schools. And that is all about controlling who is able to inform the next generation and how they will view uh, their role in, in civic society. But I would tell you this, here, here's the reason for hope. Our founding document, are our core rights, which are not granted by government, they're endowed by our creator, but they are recognized by our founding documents, all still speak in our favor. And by our, I mean individuals. We have the ability to assert our own rights and to walk in, in um, counter direction to that cultural pull. It won't be popular, but look, what, what, what did First Peter tell us? First Peter tells us that when we walk in his ways, we are going to look peculiar uh, yes. in our society. We have to be willing to do that. We have to know our rights. We have to be willing to assert them. And then, quite frankly, we have to be willing to let it roll off our back when the world points at us and says they're doing it wrong. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah. Man, I, I'm telling <laughs> really you, this, this topic alone, we could spend <laughs> the duration of the program talking about. And I know, I know that our <laughs> listeners would want to hear more on it. So maybe we'll have you back at a later date. We can kind of talk more about this. But I do want to turn our attention to this book that you've authored, My Fame, His Fame. And I want to talk about how a lot of what you see happening in the culture, when really the church is supposed to be influencing the culture, um, largely it's the other way around, that the culture is influencing the church. So when we talk about this grab for likes and this search for significance that kind of finds its way on social media and all of these different platforms. Um, what really kind of drove you to author this book? Well, I think it was primarily a concern with what you just described, which is an obsession with fame that really does permeate our culture. And it's, I think it's inarguably destructive. I mean, it's, it's one uh, that causes the end of ourselves to sort of be the ultimate goal. And if the end of ourselves mm -hmm. is the ultimate goal, then we're not setting our minds on the eternal. But, uh, you know, it, I, when I when I looked at that concern and then I juxtaposed it with uh, some of the themes of Scripture, which seem mm -hmm. to suggest that we were actually created for some element of fame. I mean, you think about God telling Abraham that he was going to be a great nation, and you hear about 
uh, God telling Joshua that his fame would spread through the land. And then ultimately, this example that I ended up rooting the book in, uh, this, this call on the Old Testament prophet of Habakkuk to call forward the fame of God into his culture, which, by the way, looked an awful lot like the culture where we are in, where mm. injustice was triumphing and the evil were winning. And and I asked myself the question, well, if, if what I see around me is a negative impact of an obsession with fame, why is it that Scripture uh, just repeatedly tells us that we were created for a certain type of fame? And maybe we can drill down on this a little bit deeper, but uh, yes. Miki, what, what I really found when I searched it out is we were created for fame. It's just that we have perverted that into a a self-absorbed fame rather than one mm. that glorifies the fame of the Almighty God. And I think the best verse that sums it up is Isaiah forty three twenty one, where God told Isaiah the exact reason he made us. He said, the people I formed, for what purpose? The people I formed for myself, he created us for him, that they might proclaim my praise. The very reason we are on this spinning planet is to proclaim the fame of our God. So it's not for our fame, but it's not that we weren't created for fame. It's that we were created for his. Wow. You know, that it, that is an amazing point to make. And, and, mm-hmm. and let me tell you what kind of I'm struck by this. Whatever it is that God intends for his glory, we see as we read the scriptures and we look at even history extra biblical history, we can see that Satan wants to pervert what God intends for good. So if this element or this understanding of fame is for the glory of God, and then we get to the place where we are now where, I mean, honestly, and and respectfully, anybody could be famous if they worked hard enough to do that. I mean, now it doesn't really take a whole lot. How do we as believers understand or rightly, and I hope that I'm asking this in, in the best possible way, achieve the type of fame that is for the glory of God? Yeah, it almost sounds hard to ask that question, doesn't it? It does. I mean, because we have, we have a two-edged sword as Jesus followers of managing this concept well. But I would tell you, and, and this is a conversation I've had with my children very recently, and specifically my daughters. I think it's particularly relevant at their stage of life. But um, I would tell you that the enemy would have us believe one of two things, both of which are equally wrong. On the one hand, they would have us take a view of ourselves that is too high, that is one, one that is rooted in ego and hubris, and one that is, would have us to believe that it's all about us, when the reality is we were created for the glory of God. But on the flip side of that coin, Miki, uh, I think the enemy would have us take a view of ourselves that is too low, that, that would say that we are worthless, when the truth is we are the pinnacle of God's creation on earth, and we were created specifically for the reason of being vessels through which the fame of the Almighty God could flow. And I just, I can't think of a calling more, uh, a calling higher than that, to be the vessels by which his fame could be known. But if we miss the mark in either direction, it's equally flawed. Wow. That's so okay. good. I'm excited. Man. I'm like, this is great. The book is My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. The author, Than Bennett, joins us. And this is what we're talking about today, that and homeschooling. And just as the Lord leads, whatever I yeah. think will be an encouragement to the body of Christ. When we get back, um, I, I want, because Than writes in the book that we are trying to be famous, but we really should be trying to be known, right? And mm. so we're going to talk about what the distinction mm. is there and how <laughs> we get to this place. Like, what are some of the solutions to these problems that ail us as believers? Aaron the Addisons, that's the program, the Network American Family Radio. We'll be right back.
saw selfies we thought that was so strange that people took pictures of themselves and then <laughs> posted it on social media for a reaction we thought this is really odd and now it really sort of characterizes the way people post photos like yeah. it's just you know there was a time and i i was guilty of joking about this with people that it it really seemed a little bit you know narcissistic to do that <laughs> you know and and or to post pictures of yourself, you know, at different places. Look at who I've met. Look at who. Look at who I'm shaking hands with. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's very commonplace. This is something that is almost expected. And if we're honest, a lot of us show up to social media wanting to see these things. These are the types of things that kind of <laughs> <laughs> make social media scroll. You no longer yeah. make the world go round. It just makes social media scroll. Our guest today is Fam uh, Bennett, and he's the author of the book My Fame, His Fame. Aiming your life and influence toward the glory of God. And we are talking about reclaiming God's purpose for us um, and learning that fame is not necessarily a bad thing, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe we've gotten it out of whack. And maybe all of us, as we're prone to be victims of uh, sort of a twisted approach to what God meant for good. And I wanted to pick up where we left off right before we went to the break, because in the book, Than, you write that we try to be famous when we should long to be known. Um, Help us understand the difference there. Yeah, it might sound like a subtle distinction, but I really do think that this distinction is everything when it comes to our effectiveness for pursuing our call. Uh, You know, if we are pursuing a breadth of human fame, like the one you were just describing on social media, that's going to destroy us because it can only take us to the end of ourselves. But if our goal is pursuing a depth of being known by our Creator, that is what will not only sustain us, that is what will put us in the center of His will and will actually make our lives count for something that is beyond just this earth. And, you know, I I think the posture that I would uh, recommend to you and to your listeners that we think about is the one that we see in Exodus 33, where Moses has been having this conversation with God, and he's been asking God to go with him on his next task. And, And God says yes. God gives him the response that he's been seeking, and Moses is not content with that. I think that's when most of us walk away, not Moses. Moses says, show me your glory. He wants mm. to know more of God, and he wants to be known intimately by God. And, and Miki and Will, it literally gives me shivers to think about this. God says yes to that audacious request. He puts <laughs> Moses in a crack in the rock, he covers the crack with his hand, he passes by, he lifts his hand, and he lets Moses look upon him with physical eyes. And I think that's the difference between being famous and being known. It's not how many people know us, but it is how intimately we know our Creator Mm. so that He can use us to reach those around us that we are uh, no longer pursuing directly. Mm. So does this then become an attitude of the heart that we have to weigh, Than? I mean, I think that there are people who are on social media, and maybe, you know, there really is this belief that this is for the glory of God. What I am doing is so that God will be known through me, but maybe it goes awry. And I don't know how that happens, except that, you know, the pull of the culture is very strong. 
is this something that we have to weigh in our heart to know where we fall on this? I think it is. I really think it does come back to that redefinition of fame that we really have to come to honest uh, grips with. You know, this is going to sound harsh, but we have to realize that the world doesn't need us specifically. It needs the one who made us. Now, here's the exciting thing, though. God God didn't set this world in motion and then just randomly uh, call people to his side. No, he created beings, he created you, and he created me to be the ones that connect to those people who need him. So it's not that we're worthless, far from it. In mm-hmm. fact, I, th- I think the story of Habakkuk would suggest that there are many times where God actually stays his hand, where he shows patience, where he waits for the people he designed to be the ones that would connect him to the world uh, to step into the gap. But I do think it takes a reorientation. The world doesn't need us. It needs him. And we have to be willing to be the ones uh, that point the world to him. Mm, Amen. Now, I want to do this because I think um, this may be where I'd like to spend, if we can, the bulk of our time just really making sure that we are all on the same page, so to speak, and understand this. Because you write in the book that the main impact of our lives is always going to occur where our eyes are set. Hmm. Let's spend some time unpacking that. I, I really think that is critical. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and this is something that I will tell you I am a work in progress on every single day, and I think any of us who thinks that we have arrived is probably going to have to reassess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, it, it's it's true when you talk about tangible things. It's true when you talk about spiritual things. If our eyes are on Jesus then our actions and our footsteps are going to draw us closer to Him. But if our eyes are on the crowd around us, and this goes back to that concept of pursuing uh, personal fame, we are going to make decisions based on how that crowd will react. And and, and in the book, I I use a, a very familiar story to all of us, the story of Pilate trying Jesus. Why did he condemn a man that he knew to be innocent to a crucifixion? And it was because he wanted to please the crowd. That's the exact phrase that is used in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Desiring to please the crowd, he made a decision. And I would just tell you, I think we have to step out of this posture of worrying about where we are positioned within the crowd and move to a posture of where are our eyes set? Because, you know, it, it may be possible that God is going to position us at the front of a crowd, but that is worse than worthless if we're leading them in the wrong direction. Mm, so right. let's focus on where we're setting our eyes and leave the decision of where we should be positioned within the crowd uh, to the one who knows a whole lot better than we do. I'm wondering at this point about the implication of, of this in our own family structures and, and the things that mm. we have our eyes set on. And I'm wondering if you have anything that might be kind of instructive for us in, in that regard. You know, it seems like that is the the small, smaller work, you know, that that's not the important thing to be doing, that everything mm-hmm. seems to happen outside of the home. But I think that what we've seen in the last four to six weeks is that there's a lot of work to be done inside of the home. For mm-hmm. many of us, um, there's been a wake up call. It's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't I didn't realize there was a whole world happening here. And there is. Um, how should we be challenged to set our eyes, even as it pertains to our family? It's been a little bit sobering for me, too, both in my own personal walk and then also from those I hear around me of how many stresses this recent time has um, brought to the surface, even as it relates to constant interaction with those we love the most, right? Mm-hmm. If if we can't endure um, 
24 hours, seven days a week with those we love the most? How are we going to interact uh, to a world that we maybe don't love as much and one that doesn't have uh, Jesus Christ? But look, I, I, I could not agree with you more. The the home and the family setting is the is the uh, the education grounds where we learn this concept. And um, I, I would just maybe tell you by way of illustration, our, our family has had the amazing privilege, and it really is that it's an amazing privilege to be uh, a foster family for newborns who are headed towards adoption. And I will tell wow. you that what having those babies in our home has meant for our children, who are 11, 9, and 7, it has done more to reorient their perspective to things that are beyond their own immediate needs than anything that Brooke and I could have ever done. And so I think the way I would answer your question is I think it's absolutely critical to our spiritual health for us to give our children ways where they can see that it is about more than themselves. And honestly, it's going to be the most effective when it involves sacrifice, because if they are willing to sacrifice inside the home for the betterment of others, when we release them out into the world, that's going to be their natural instinct. Mm. You know, I think that there was, um, and, and I don't want to overuse the word, but if, if you're willing, maybe an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. I think many people were social distancing even before it was a thing, um, but but still at the same time feeling like you were in community because you're online or maybe because people know you or follow your page. But there's still this this loneliness in our culture. And I'm wondering if that's not directly connected to a misunderstanding of the type of fame we should be seeking. I really think it is, Miki. And it's so it's interesting how God works. You know, I wrote these words about a year and a half ago, and I didn't realize how relevant they would be when the book finally came out. But uh, there's a quote in the book where uh, Claire Danes, the very famous actress, says Mm -hmm. uh, that fame doesn't end loneliness. And I think most of us think if we're famous, if everybody knows who we are, if everybody has eyes on us, there would be no possible way uh, that we could be lonely. But the research really does show that it's exactly the opposite if we aren't rooted in the one who made us and for the purposes by which he created us. And I would would maybe add one layer to that. Um, God wants to address the needs of our world, and he wants Mm -hmm. to do it for his glory, not ours. But I've talked a bunch of times during this conversation about how we are the mechanism for that. And this connectivity to our culture, Miki, it's it's critical in this because God designed us with connections in, in both directions. He designed us primarily to connect to him, the creator, but he also designed us to connect to the culture in a way that he could reach them. And if you think about the very tangible commands of Scripture, you know, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, befriend the lonely, visit the prisoner, all of them. All of them require both of those connections to be firmly in place in order for them to take place. It's the only way that his perfect design happens. And what, what, what's the result if both those connections are made? The opposite of loneliness. It's connection to our creator and it's connection to our culture in a way that feeds them in a positive fashion. I would tell you, that's the only way that the crisis of loneliness that we see all around us will be addressed. If both of those connections are firmly made. Hmm. Is there hope for, um, I guess, the body of Christ having so long misunderstood fame and what God requires of us and really how to effectively live for the glory of God? Is there, are you encouraged? Do you see that, um, I don't know, maybe there is something on the horizon for the church and for the world who is really depending on the testimony of the church? 
You know, I really do. I, I fervently believe this. With, with all my heart, I believe that we are on the edge of a moment where God's people are going to uh, more fully realize the purpose by which they've mm. been created. And, Amen. you know, I, I really do think, and, and again, I'm not pointing the finger here. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from my own heart. I, I, t- I tend to write from a place of the things that I'm struggling with. But I, mm-hmm. I think we've had a posture of being able to very quickly identify uh, the mistakes of the culture all around us. And there's a place for that, but the only place for that, the, the place for that is after we've examined our own heart and after yes. our heart has broken for the culture around us because it hmm. represents a disconnect from the God who loves them intimately. And that is the shift that I think we are on the edge of. I see wow. God's people waking up to a moment where we're no longer going to first criticize and condemn the culture around us. We're going to put a hand out, and we're going to show them a better way, because we know the one, Miki and Will. We know the one who has not been shaken through all of this. They have been shaken. The Mm -hmm. world has been shaken. Our culture has been shaken. Mm -hmm. But if they can look to us and see our feet firmly planted on high places, Mm -hmm. which is what God promises at the end of Habakkuk, they're going to be drawn to that. And I think we're on the edge of that moment. Mm. The book is My Fame, His Fame. I got to tell you, I'm so glad to have a copy of it in my hands. I really am. Thank you so much for writing this book. Our author, uh, Than Bennett, uh, is with us today. Than, how can our listeners connect with you and keep up with the work that you're doing, not only in writing, but in culture? Uh, Sure. They can find more information on the book at myfamehisfamebook.com, and then they connect connect with me in a variety of ways at thanbennett.com. There will be various ways that they can connect with me. Um, But honestly, Mickey and Will, I would tell you that my my biggest hope would be after reading this and after reaching out if they want to, that there would be a greater realization of the purpose for which they were created. There's no higher calling, no higher calling than being squarely within the fame of the Almighty God. Oh, that's wonderful. That's you know, and that was that was how I was going to wrap up. I was going to ask you, <laughs> what is your great hope for, for people after they've read the book, which seems like such the appropriate response, right? Because usually it's like, yeah, so you can oh, I have all these different platforms. Follow me here. Check me out here and do this. But now here the desire is that people would understand exactly what the call of God is on their life and mm, live for his glory. Amen. Than Bennett, everybody. Than, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Keep homeschooling. And hey, great name for your son, Nathaniel. Uh, (laughs) don't you you. love it we love it god bless you all right man my goodness will the great what i mean you know we talk about um you know really hitting the mark and we talk about being right in the vein of the things that the lord is stirring in our heart yes and um and i don't i don't ever want to sound oversaved you know and i say that it's a joke people you can't be (laughs) oversaved it's just a joke go with me um, but I will say this, we had to reschedule Than, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. it just so happens, you want to say it that way, <laughs> it just so happens that uh, he was rescheduled, um, you know, following our discuss- discussion on homeschooling, yeah. and he himself was homeschooled, and he and his wife homeschooled their three children. And so I just, you know, as we were talking about this before the show, I said, you know, the Lord, and we know this, mm-hmm. but we have these moments where it's sort of crystallized, right? You go, the Lord is sovereign. Yeah. And uh, he does all things well. That's right. And so we trust him. And I just want to expand that sentiment um, beyond the topic of today. The Lord is sovereign and we trust him. So we trust him with the decisions that we need to make in the upcoming weeks and months as it pertains not only to the education of our kids, but even as we're looking at our states opening up and our businesses opening up and all of the things that are set before us, the Lord sees and he is fully aware of you and he can be trusted. That's right. He can 
be trusted. All right, we are out of time for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.